in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. We've got some uh, good things coming up. I want you to just be aware of I'm going to highlight a couple of them. Uh, the third one that I would, we're just going to talk probably a little bit more about next week, but around the town Easter, our children's ministry has uh, exercised again some of their creative muscles to figure out how do we do um, blessing of families in the middle or hopefully past the middle of the COVID chaos. And so our around the town Easter, you get some information about that online. Again, we'll talk a little bit about more of that, but I want to talk to you about... Um, this coming Thursday night. Now, I know that God has um, captured, in many cases, uh, enlarged or softened your heart toward our disability community around us through Night to Shine. And there's a next step for that that we have purposed with our outreach team, and it's called our Rejoicing Spirits Ministry. And that uh, information meeting about that is going to take place this Thursday here at the church at 7 p.m. So if God has said, boy, there's another step for you, um, we know what that step is, and we'd like to cast some vision for that for you. So Thursday night here at the church, just an information meeting, didn't commit you to anything, but it might just be the next way that you can um, pour out your heart to people that God loves and has created, okay? Um, And then our marriage conference next month, the 23rd and 24th of April. Now, Wherever your marriage is at, all of us could use a shot, like a, just a, um, an encouragement. Um, struggles. I mean, talk to someone who's lost their spouse, and they will tell you, put your attention there, pour into that, value it, cherish it, and invest in it. So this seminar is a chance for us to invest in that. Now, some... Marriages might just need a good shot of encouragement. Some of our marriages, um, we know, like they need CPR, right? We need to get the paddles out. And so wherever you fall on the scale of that, this marriage conference will help you and, and help you look at more what is God's plan for true intimacy in marriage. And not just for us, okay, but also for those that we know, whether they're churched or unchurched, God's plan for this relationship is critical, and we all need encouragement along the way. So we'd encourage you not just to sign up, but also to bring um, someone you know that could really use that. We'll watch the kids. It's a Friday night just for a couple hours, Saturday for about half of a day, but it might be just the chance for you to let God have a chance to speak into your life and the life of your spouse and those that you care about. So sign up today for that. You can do that online, uh, troycc.org forward slash marriage conference. Okay? Now, remember when we talked at the beginning of our study of Mark that this was a book of action. Okay? Drew gave us a pretty good dose of that last week, right, as he walked us through so many things that are happening in the book of Mark, some that we delved into, some we said, oh, we're going to set that aside for another time. Today is going to be the same way as we open up Mark chapter 14 and we begin to see the beginning of the end. Okay? We begin to see this drama that unfolds before us in which every scene is dark. But it seems like as we progress, each scene might just get a little bit darker than the previous one. So we're going to begin today where we left off last week as we leave the upper room. But by the time we finish our 
series of verses today, we're going to see Jesus beaten and Peter broken. So turn to Mark chapter 14. If you're not there already, you've got a Bible in front of you in a chair. If you didn't bring yours with you or don't have your Bible app, Jesus has just finished his last meal with his disciples. Now, these are people that he has loved and trained for three years. They don't know it, of course, but literally this is their final moments of peace together. Even though those moments, as we read last week, were filled with a dose of reality as Jesus explained that one of them would betray him. But as we engage back in the text, we find that because of all this taking place, that Jesus, we find him very anticipatory. Okay? Anticipating all the things that are going to unfold, not in this chapter, but in the ones ahead. <clears throat> Jesus knew what was coming, right? He's not only known it, but he has willingly pursued God's plan for his life. And so as they finish the Last Supper, we pick up in verse 26. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fade away. You will all fall away. Excuse me, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, the disciples are going to miss this whole resurrection piece that Jesus just shared there in verse 28. Okay? But, but let's not miss it ourselves. Okay? Jesus is again giving them hope, a hope-filled promise. It's actually the fifth time now that Jesus has told them in the book of Mark that he is going to be resurrected. Okay? But they wouldn't hear that part. Okay? They got stuck on the first words when he said, you will all fall away. And Peter of course, probably frustrated that this subject just keeps coming up again. I, I told you, Jesus, quit talking like that. And here he is talking like that again. Peter declares in verse 29, Jesus, even if all fall away, I will not. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, Peter, today, <clears throat> yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself You'll disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And don't miss the last part. And all the others said the same. Okay? Now when you read this, does anybody else like think deja vu? Like weren't we just here? Jesus makes this bold yet sad prediction and Peter says, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not how it's supposed to happen. Back in Mark chapter 8, Jesus spoke of his death and his suffering. And Peter pulled him aside and rebuked him for talking like that. Now here Peter argues with him again, insisting emphatically, I will never disown you. Peter insists that, that he's going to prove himself more trustworthy than the rest. Uh, not written, but kind of understood. Like, they're all going to leave you, but I won't leave you. They'll all fall away, but I would never fall away. I would die for you before I would fall away, Peter says. And yet, all the disciples swear their complete and their undivided 
loyalty to him by the time we get to verse 31 there. They would all remain faithful, even to death if necessary. Yet Jesus knows differently. Okay? And, I, and I don't want us to leave this particular section before we take a look at verse 29. It's a, um, a repeat of what we read from the prophet Zechariah, where it says, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will all be scattered. Okay? The use of the I here underscores God's initiative behind Jesus' death. It appears like the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, all of them, that they're driving all of this. And what happens is a travesty of justice. But it's not outside of God's sovereign control. It's not an accident. Listen, God will strike Jesus. God will hammer the nails. God will place on Jesus the sin of the whole world, as Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, he says, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is anticipating all that lies ahead, knowing that none of it was fair, but neither was any of it coincidence. God was orchestrating these events, knowing the hearts of men and knowing what that would lead to. And so we also find in this chapter that Jesus is burdened. He's burdened. From the upper room, they traveled to the Mount of Olives where he uh, gave, the, gave them these penetrating words. And then they moved to a specific place on the mountain where Jesus had gone before to pray to Gethsemane. We pick up in verse 32. It says, then they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter James and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death, he said to them. Stay here. Keep watch. And then going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then returned his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that, listen to this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. One more time he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. 
Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now listen, we know. We can see in hindsight that this was the last opportunity that these disciples would have to be with Jesus before everything falls apart and the nonstop events that lead to the cross will begin. We know that, but they didn't know that. Jesus knew that, but they didn't know that. Can you imagine the regret that they will feel when they realize that they left Jesus alone in his greatest hour of need. They missed their last chance. In Gethsemane, Jesus meets the silence of heaven. There's no reassuring voice from heaven coming down and saying, this is my son that I love. No dove descends. No angels come to serve him. God has spoken. And Jesus, his son, will obey. So Mark allows us to see Jesus suffering anguish before the physical suffering. Like he's in the, in the grips of this overwhelming reality as he faces what he knows to be this road ahead of him that leads to the cross. So we watch him struggle. And we watch him weep. And we watch him pray. And we watch him cry out. And then Jesus overcomes the silence. Right? He fights off the human temptation to do what he wants instead of what God wants. And through prayer, he submits himself to the will of God. Okay? Not a bad thing to remember when we face struggles the way Jesus did it here. Jesus knows he's not going to be delivered from death. But instead it's going to be delivered into the hands of sinners. He's accepted God's will for himself and through prayer he has steadied himself for what lies ahead. Eyes in one direction. Now think about the contrast the disciples have squandered the opportunity for prayer okay, by sleeping. And consequently, they're going to fold under pressure. Jesus gives them two sharp commands here. Okay? Rouse them from their sleep and get them ready to encounter the traitor and the thugs. He says, rise, let us go. What they don't realize, but we realize, is these are the last words that Jesus is going to speak to them in the book of Mark. Aroused from their slumber, out of their failure to even keep watch and be with him, they move ahead. And then what Jesus has been anticipating would happen, then it begins. And what had been burdening him was about to unfold as we find Jesus betrayed. Jesus poured three years of his life into the lives of these followers. He had worked to prepare them for what was about to happen. He, He had loved them. He had taught them. 
He had empowered them. He had given them purpose. Remember, all of Christianity would rest on these disciples. And look what happens in verse 43. It says, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Jesus said, am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled, he said. And then, catch this, everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So think about what's happening here. Think about how close to, I would never. (laughs) We make such bold claims, don't we, sometimes? I mean, we say, if if I win the lottery, first thing I'm going to do is write a check for 10% to the church. But week goes by after week, and we don't write a check for 10% to the church. So will we really be um, obedient in the big things if we're not obedient in the little things? And would Peter really be able to never even deny him and die with him if necessary when he couldn't even stay awake at that point? Judas betrayed Jesus. The other disciples abandon him, and they flee. Now Jesus is alone, and he's on his own. Do you remember when Peter said, Lord, we've left our family for you? We've left our jobs for you? (laughs) We've forsaken literally everything to follow you. But now they forsake him, and they run leaving him alone to face the horror of death without any support. <laughs> and this mob, like this, this mob, they don't understand the scriptures. They have no idea of the significance of what is about to take place. The high priests, they fooled themselves into thinking that, that they're cleverly accomplishing their own purposes But Jesus knows that it's God's purposes that are being accomplished, which is why he continues to move forward. And and that's important to understand because Jesus is about to be vilified. Okay, Now, like I find it painful to read this chapter, Mark chapter 14. I find it painful to think about one moment Jesus holding up the bread and holding up the cup and saying this is symbolic of how I'm going to sacrifice for you and then him actually beginning this purpose of sacrifice. For him to to feel the sting 
of such awful sin that we are about to read about and, and, and realize he is enduring all of this. And he's enduring all of it to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. Look down at verse 53. It says, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements didn't agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Now listen, in, in Jewish law, a person could be convicted based on the testimony of two or three witnesses that agreed with each other. Okay? We know this um, because their testimony was false. <laughs> and it wasn't going the way he thought it should or that it would or that he wanted it to. So finally the high priest just stands up and takes things into his own hands. He gets fed up with everything. And the high priest, verse 60, stood up before them and asked, Are you not going to answer? He asked that to Jesus. What's this, what is this, this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And he gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. With that, the high priest tore his clothes. You've heard the testimony, the blasphemy. We don't need any more witnesses. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. <clears throat> now we should understand that the high priest likely gathered a group of whoever he could to show up at this late hour of the night for this trial. Nighttime trials were not normal. Okay? They were forbidden later in rabbinic law uh, a hearing of the middle of, in the middle of the night suggests that this is just what it appears to be. It's a mockery of justice. Marcus told us about these high priests, this high priest, these teachers of the law, and these elders. In Mark 11, verse 18, he told us that they were looking for a way to kill him. In chapter 12, verse 12, it says that they were looking for a way to arrest him. In the first part of this chapter, it says they were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. And then here in verse 55, they're looking for evidence against Jesus that would finish him off. <laughs> and they kept coming up empty because there wasn't any. Now, we should understand these Jewish leaders, they did not have the power to put someone to death. They did have the power to have someone arrested and beaten, and that's as far as it goes at this point. But they knew they were going to be able to have to get him to be 
put to death, they were going to have to create this convincing evidence that they could present to Pilate. Now, we'll meet Pilate in our text next week. And he's no rubber stamp. He's no, hey, whatever you say, that's what we'll do kind of a guy. So these Jewish leaders knew that they needed to present this convincing case so that Pilate wouldn't just beat him and let him go as well. But Jesus remained silent. I think his silence shows his contempt for their lack of integrity. I mean, the false witnesses can't get their stories straight. That's the point. They were false witnesses. And the plot changed, and the high priest takes charge, and he asks Jesus that question. And Jesus says, I am the Son of the Blessed One, the Messiah. And then the drama ensues, right? The blasphemy, the tearing of your robe, which was, I'm sure, partly for emphasis and partly it's this ancient way of expressing outrage that he would claim this. And the council unanimously condemns Jesus to death. And they judge him as worthy of death. And then the mockery that follows, doesn't it just pain you to think about Jesus standing there while people spit on him and blindfold him and punch him, taunt him. And yet we knew this was coming, right? Remember back in Mark chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Jesus said these things. It says that Jesus took the 12 aside and told them what was about to happen to him. He says, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the leaders of, teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later he will rise. That's more of what's to come in the next chapter. Isn't it ironic that of all the things they could say to him, they yelled to him, prophesy, even while his prophecies were actually taking place of what he'd already said would happen. And don't forget that simultaneous to all this, remember what we read in verse 54? Like simultaneous to all this, Peter is close by watching and ultimately as predicted, Peter is going to leave Jesus completely abandoned. Abandoned. Look at verse 66. It says, While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. He said, and went out into the entryway. Well, when the servant girl saw him there, she again said to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near Peter said, Surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. <laughs> Immediately. The rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down. And he wept. 
so think about this. Simultaneously, Jesus <coughs> boldly confesses before the high priest, while Peter, in cowardice, denies him to a girl who's literally just a servant girl to the high priest. Jesus confesses under immense pressure and hostility, and it seals his fate, while Peter caves under the gentlest of pressure, and he simply lies to save himself. Things would happen exactly as Jesus said they would. Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed twice. Have you ever thought about that before it crowed twice, the rooster would have had to crow once? Was that a warning to Peter or just white noise that he missed completely? I don't know the answer to it. But the intensity of his sorrow is seen. As it says, immediately he broke down and he wept. And shame washes over Peter. Now I find Mark chapter 14 just this incredibly emotional and moving chapter when I just plant myself there for a bit. It kind of takes my breath away spiritually. And yet Jesus doesn't just call us to observe his life. He also calls us to imitate his life. So I want to make just a few quick observations at the end of our time today. Things that I would just encourage you to, to take and sit with this next week. This next week we head to the cross before Easter and the resurrection. And it was a dark week. We're, we're in the middle of it, toward the end of it actually in our text. But we've got a week to just think through these things. So sit with these during your quiet time this week. Things we learned from our text this week. And the first is this. We would all do well to paying attention to obeying God's will for our lives instead of just boldly declaring what we will or what we will not do. It's pretty easy to say, Jesus, I would, and fill in the blank. And it feels so good and so bold and so powerful and so victorious. And yet Jesus has given us things to do every day, ways to walk in obedience. So I may or may not have the chance to honor him on the grand stage of life. But I have the chance to honor him through every thought that I have, through every word that I speak, through every action that I complete in his name. Listen, Peter was a great follower of Jesus. Okay? He just needed some maturing. Okay? And you and I need some maturing as well, likely. Number two, I think it requires spiritual sensitivity for us to discern the moments that we have to engage and to not be absent. Okay? The three disciples, they not only missed Jesus' greatest hour of need, okay? they also failed to prepare for their own upcoming struggle. And we need to stay connected to God so that we see those moments instead ultimately we can seize those moments they don't just happen the, the moments happen but capturing them for the kingdom doing the right thing not missing those opportunities they only happen when we're seeing 
through God's eyes. And that only happens when we stay connected to him and stay awake spiritually. Number three, um, we can stay faithful to the struggle when we are focused on God's purposes and tap into his strength to accomplish them. Okay? <clears throat> we may have to stand alone one day. We may find ourselves abandoned by others who don't have the strength to walk the path that we are called to walk. We may find it difficult for us to have the strength to walk the path that we are called to walk. But God will not abandon us and he will give us strength to walk the path that he has called us to journey. Okay? Number four, bring it back out a little bit. Can we just remember that God's purposes will prevail? God's purposes prevailed here though it certainly didn't seem like it, and though if we only had through Mark chapter 14, we might question it as well. Listen, men are, go are going to, to scheme to accomplish their will. And it will feel like, and it does feel at times, like hell is winning and like God is losing. We don't always understand why or how things play out. But listen, God wins in the end and we win too if we stick with him. So remember, God's purposes will prevail. And then let me just leave us all with a dose of reality. Okay, You and I will fail. You and I will fail. We can love God and give our very best and still at times fall short of his perfect plan. God knows that. And he loves us anyway. God knows that. And he has entrusted us with the gospel anyway. He knows that. As we'll see next week in our text. <clears throat> he has already made provision for your failure. And my failure, just like he had for Peter's failure. Now next week we're going to meet Jesus at the cross. But the beauty of sitting in our seats in this day and time is we don't have to wait till next week to meet Jesus at the cross. We can meet him there today. We can bring our sin. We can bring our failure. We can embrace Jesus today so I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship and during that time or after the service would you think about what God has planned for you and how he's preparing this way and the cross that Jesus went on to pay the price for your sin and would you embrace him talk to myself talk to one of our leaders as we sing or afterwards and embrace Jesus today let's pray together Father, <clears throat> your patience and self-control that you exercised in letting Jesus walk this path is beyond my scope as a father. 
Jesus, your ability to walk this path seems beyond my scope as a follower. And yet you did just that for us so that we might know you and be redeemed as yours. We thank you for the gift that you knew our need and you met it far in advance. You knew our ineptness. You knew the shame we would feel. You knew the guilt that we would be under. You knew that we would fall short of what you had planned and yet because you love us, you provided for us so that maybe even today, Father, you could welcome us. May this all fall not on deaf ears, but on open hearts and minds to embrace all that you are and all that you've done for us. We pray in Jesus.